and welcome to the Hairdryer Treatment Podcast. This week, we've got plenty to chat about as the Premier League considers pulling the plug on pay-per-view, Marcus Rashford becomes a national hero, and another round of Premier League fixtures passes by. I'm your host and resident, Jordy Kieran, and today I'm joined by Chelsea and Rangers fan, Luke. Chelsea. Liverpool fan, Andy. Hi, guys. And Partick Thistle supporter, Steve. Hello. Yeah, as I just mentioned, um, in something of a turn-up for the books, media this week are reporting that the Premier League's pay-per-view scheme could be set for a U-turn after a backlash from both fans and broadcasters alike. In addition to that, Newcastle United owner Mike Ashley became the first Premier League owner to come out against it last night as he issued a statement saying that he believes the price of the games needs to be lower to £4.95, saying fans have overwhelmingly rejected the scheme and that the Premier League must now act. Luke? Do you think it's rich of Mike Ashley to be demanding things like that from the Premier League, given that he's still taking season ticket money from fans and not three weeks ago voted in favour of the very same pay-per-view scheme he's now calling out? Well, interestingly, if you look in the dictionary under the, the word hypocrite, it actually says we see Mike Ashley. So, you know, pretty much that, that actually pretty much displays it. That guy. Uh, oh, you know my feelings on this, Kieran, as a Rangers fan, right? Mike Ashley is a poison in the game. And actually a poison in retail. So I don't really believe Just a poison on earth, really. Yeah, I'm sure he's a very nice man. I'm sure, I'm sure he's he's by all accounts, he's a very nice man. But <laughs> uh, I wouldn't take anything he says seriously in any shape, way or form. Uh, the, the only good thing that he has said is that it, it either needs to be dropped or, or, or the price needs to be reduced. But um, other than that, you know, it, it's kind of, it, yeah, the guy's irrelevant as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, I looked at the statement last night and it says in the last, the last paragraph of the statement is something like, Newcastle United did vote in favour of, uh, of the pay-per-view scheme um, a few weeks ago, but felt like we had to do that as it was the only viable option on the table. Does that not just make the whole statement before it completely moot? <laughs> it basically says, yeah, we wanted your money, but it didn't really work, so we don't really want your money, but we still do, kind of, really. Oh, well, exactly. That's the way I'm saying the whole thing from the Premier League, to be honest. <laughs> Andy, what's your thoughts on this, mate? Yeah, I think um, it is obviously, it does feel slightly hollow. Um, I think you make all, you both, both made all the good points that um, whilst it's good that he's sort of suggesting all these things, but um, you know, I didn't realise that he's still charging for season tickets. So that's, that makes it seem awfully hollow for him. He's just, I don't know whether he's just saying it just to sort of, because I know there's always obviously there's talk is now of obviously the Premier League um, stopping the Newcastle takeover. I don't know whether that's his way of getting them back for that by slagging them off to the media. Um, I don't know, but um, I think that certainly, um, I think certainly it should be cancelled. I think 4.95 isn't that bad. I think that will be, I think people will be more accepting of that because it is only five quid compared to, so that's £10 less than it was before. Uh, but even so, I think it, it is wrong that he's, it just feels slightly wrong that he's saying all these things about the, about, about the, about the pay-per-view and getting it cancelled or reduced whilst also at the same time uh, being the man he is, but also uh, charging for the um, yeah. charging for season tickets despite no one being at the ground. Yeah, I mean, Steve, the um, thing with the, the media uh, part of this is allegedly Sky and BT want the scheme scrapped as much as fans do because they believe that it's having a negative impact on the way they're seen and on their reputation. Um, right. They're totally right, aren't they? 
Yeah, uh, so we, we've been talking about this in the pub all week, and, and we stated what we thought would happen with this, was obviously, first off, you'd see an increase in illegal streams, which we talked about in the podcast last week. Um, but the other thing we said we would see was, what you would see is Sky subscribers and BT Sports subscribers saying, I'm already paying £15 a month for a sports package, and now you're going to take a core part of it and make it pay-per-view. So we, we reckoned that this would probably last a couple more weeks. Uh, it would basically take BT and Sky Sports having people ring up and cancel the subscriptions in droves for BT and Sky to say, actually, we can't make money off this. This is going to cost us money. Mm-hmm. Um, and that looks like that's exactly what's happened. And you, you can take Mike Ashley's statement. Mike Ashley's statement is it rings completely hollow. He's not the one driving this. The two sponsors who have been putting you know, hundreds of millions into the Premier League, they're the ones backing this. Um, in regards to them, actually, a couple of things. Um, an MP this week was forced to apologise for calling one of her colleagues scum. Uh, I don't think anyone here is, in any way, shape or form is going to have to apologise for calling Mike Ashley scum. Uh, second, whoever said Mike Ashley is a nice person really is just, you, you're not on this planet. Um, but they, they will find an alternative to this. The £4.95 is, is a great way of doing it. Um, it's affordable. Uh, you have a lot more people in lockdown around right now, so you have a captive audience. You need to find a price for them to, uh, you know, for, for them to, you know, want to purchase the product. And obviously, it started with fifteen pound for West Brom versus Burnley, and nobody in their right mind will pay fifteen pound for West Brom versus Burnley. There were there were some rumours on Twitter that that game had less than a hundred buys, um, and that might also have had a little bit of an effect on Sky and BT saying, well. Not only are we losing subscribers, but we're not actually getting the buy rate we thought we might get. Yeah, I mean, as we were talking about before, uh, as you just mentioned there, in terms of the buys um, that the pay-per-views have been getting, the stats coming out today uh, are suggesting that they're averaging less than 40,000 buys per game, which is significantly less than they would normally get for a game that they would televise, like... You're talking near enough the mil- near the millions for the games that they would get without they actually put on TV. Yeah. Yeah. So, for them to be averaging less than forty k for the pay per view games is terrible, terrible, terrible business for Sky. Never mind what it does to the reputation. So, um, well, what I like about that is that you, you know Newcastle fans raised twenty grand for uh, for the food bank. I reckon that Sky probably took less than that in pay per view buys for the Newcastle United game, at least from Newcastle's end. Okay. You would have got the usual kind of you know casual fans who bought the United for, for the United game but um, yeah uh, yeah I did actually see some alleged figures for that one and it was apparently around about 40k bought that so um, still 40,000 too many in my book but still um, Luke these guys have mentioned um, £4.95 is the quoted rate from Mike Ashley that would be the that he would suggest as the alternative to the current £14.95 is that acceptable, or do you think we should st- we should be pushing for this pay per view scheme to be scrapped entirely? Here's the here's the thing: four ninety five is 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 not a lot of money, but it is the principle. Yeah, I, I'm already you know so for example, I'm already shelling out for Sky and BT Sports, and um, so so I kind of reasonably expect to see all of the, of all of the games, and um, I kind of it rankles still. I've got to pay extra for some of the other games. I get that they're not; they can't show all of them on Sky. So, so I suppose that, that that's the only thing that will make me say, yeah, four ninety five kind of works. So, so that you get to see the game of of choice, and um, rather than whatever uh, Sky sort of um, 
you know, decides is going to be the live game or BT decides is the live game. So yeah. I suppose, yeah. But, you know, just, well, yeah, here's a suggestion. Yeah. Why can't we go back to the situation that we used to have wherein every game that was televised was on Sky or BT for the normal subscription uh-huh. payers. Yeah. The rest of the games are played at three o'clock on a Saturday. Uh-huh. Um, and then instead of the fans being able, and then instead of the fans having to pay Sky or BT Sport box office for it, uh-huh. they pay the £4.95 or so directly to the club to watch it on the club's website, the way like the clubs in the SPFL are doing, the way the clubs in the lower leagues in England are doing. I would do that, honestly, because that's what I did for, for uh, Rangers, actually, was I paid directly on their site and used their Rangers TV to watch the home games. And I've got no problem at all with doing that if, if I see that it's going straight to the clubs. I, I don't honestly believe that the you know the, the, the what you're paying right now is going more or less all to the clubs. I, I just don't see it. I think, I think you know, unless I see hard figures, I, I would doubt it, seriously. Yeah, Steve. Sorry, what's your yeah, I, I would say I, I agree with you there. It's like the, we don't have fans in the stadiums for a three o'clock kickoff on a Saturday. Now I know part of the Premier League thing is that you never show three o'clock games on a Saturday, but when you've got no fans and you've got a captive audience, that's when you need to be showing it. Now I think Mike Ash was suggesting four pound ninety five. He's basing that on you know, your Sports Direct price of everything. You, you don't get anything premium in Sports Direct. You know I think realistically the Premier League will look at it and say, all right, we'll do it for nine ninety five. And a lot of people, because it just has that little that be that selling point just below a tenner, enough people will say, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. I mean, we, we have it in the pub, and so we have to pay the extra for the, the box office performance and the rest of it. We're not getting customers in. Um, you know, we, we're struggling here because, you know, we can't get people in because of the roadworks where we are. Uh-huh. But if you're in the UK, you don't even have a pub. You know, so pe- people need to watch it at home. You, uh-huh. You've got a completely captive audience. Price it in a way that they, could, they look at it and say, you're not being money grabbing. You're you're giving us a product that that we think is worth that price. Mm. Um, Nine ninety five people will buy it. They'll they'll think it's oh I don't want to pay a tenner. Nine ninety five. You know eight ninety five. Run about there. Don't try and pay fifteen pound. Don't drop it to Ashley's level four ninety five. I think psychologically that would work, Steve. Actually, I I think that probably eight or nine ninety five would probably do the trick in terms of enticing people. Um, you know, I don't see a problem with that. I mean, I don't know what you think, Kieran and Andy, but I, you know, that, that would probably work in some way. No, I, I'm not sure. I think, um, I don't know, I think 8.95 is in a million miles off of that £425 less. So I think, uh-huh. for me, it's still the principle. I mean, it's, it's just a scandal to me that they're showing games at 8pm on a Saturday and Sunday. That, that's yeah. just a scandal for me because that's that just seems like a wrong time to have a game on on the weekend. Yeah. But um, I think... Uh, eight ninety five or nine ninety five would still be too high for me. I think for me, it has to be five pound or less. I think otherwise, I'm, I don't think I'd pay for it anyway. Even if it was maybe if it was two pounds, I would. But um, I, I just wouldn't want to sort of pay anything more than five for a prescription mm-hmm. that we've already got. I think um, I know it's not on TV, but even so, it's not the same. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I I still think that it's um, I still put that too high myself. I still have it uh, four pound ninety five at the most. Kieran, would you? What would you do? Uh, I I don't think well, fans are going to want to pay anything at all. To be honest, mm-hmm. um, on top of what they're already already paying, like mm-hmm. you boys have said, it's the it's the principle of having to pay extra to watch individual games. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve, yeah, no, I I think Andy's point is based on the fact that he is in fact poor. 
Um, that would be why he doesn't want to pay for it. And, and I completely understand that because the Premier League is... I mean, I, I'm in the same boat. You know, I don't want to pay for the Premier League. But then again, you know, I actually don't have time to watch it um, with work. And when I'm in the pub, I get to watch it for free as part of my work. So. I am very, very rich, so I can afford it, no problem. Well, I seem to recall you had a very big <laughs> NFL bet came in a few weeks ago, and I think you're still living off that, Mr. Campbell. <laughs> I know we all got free pizza out of it a few weeks ago, That's but true. I, I think you're That's living true. off that one. I think I'm there's still, uh, still very, very rich. Very rich. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I think whether it's two quid or it's 20 quid, I think for Newcastle fans in particular, it's the principle of it. It's the principle of giving money to the Premier League. It's the principle of having to pay more on top of what we're already paying. It's like, I think in for for our lot, I think that's how we would see it. Um, just one more thing on the Mike Ashley statement as well. Part of it was that he says per the profit for his suggested reduced price for pay-per-views, mm-hmm. um, he would suggest that 50% would be retained by the Premier League and the clubs within it, and the other 50% would go to the football pyramid below. Does Mike actually own a club in the football pyramid below? Because that's about the only reason I can think of him he's suggesting to, someone else gets over move. Yeah, he's, he's going to buy one of those clubs. In fact, he's going to buy all of those clubs in a fire sale, because that's what he does. What he'll do What he'll do is actually buy like 5% and then and then have their strip deal, and then include <laughs> the 70 notice period. Because that's the kind of stuff that he does. You're not. You're not better at all about that, look, are you? But honestly, seven-year notice period for your strip deal is ridiculous. And then buying the naming rights to the ground for a pound. You'd never have gotten away with it if you hadn't done silly things like have employment benefit trusts and go bust. You just need to not do that again. To be fair, like some of Rangers' debts were absolutely incredible when they went under that first time. Like they owed like thirty quid to a face painting company and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I remember all of it. Do you see me? Um, uh, <laughs> that one. That one. Have you, yeah. Have you seen the um, Kevin Kevin Bridges sketch of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have actually. Yeah, let's, let's not go there, boys. This is an English football podcast. Right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we don't change it over a second. If, if it means why you an adult themed podcast with the amount of swearing you start on. On that, I actually had to make last week's episode explicit due to your potty mouth, Mister Stephen. Oh, what did I say? <laughs> a, na- a naughty word. That's what you said. Uh, uh, okay. I'll go with that. I probably did. Uh, if we were talking about VAR and how it was destroying football, yes, I probably did. Uh, and I stand by that. It was our first ever explicit content episode of the Hairdryer Treatment Podcast. So I'm a little bit disappointed in you, actually. You could have just bleeped it out. I could have, but I thought it would have been better if I just kept it in, marked it as explicit content, and then used it against you at a later date. Minus 10 <laughs> points in the quiz. Yeah. Minus oh, 10 that's a minus great. 10 points. Uh, yeah. I haven't got yeah. a single question right I was, I was low point to be fair no, yeah, none of you have though to be fair so <laughs> hopefully we'll get a, bit we'll get a little bit more of it today anyway before we do get to that we have one more topic to talk about um, that is Marcus Rashford um, the Manchester United star has been in the news this week once yeah. more after his remarkable efforts to make sure our children across the UK are fed this half term following a vote by members of parliament to stop children who get free school meals from getting meal vouchers while they are off school. Using his social media, Marcus has been helping families find places in just about every town or city in uh, in England um, that are supplying free meals for young kids who need them. And 
honestly, in my book, I think Marcus is an absolute hero for all the work he's been doing, not just with this, but earlier in the year, um, all of the work he's been doing with the End Hunger Task Force. Yeah. But not everybody feels that way, Steve. Um, what do you make, personally, of the work that Marcus Rashford's been doing? What, what, what he's been doing so far is tremendous. Um, I mean, we, we gave a knighthood, knighthood to a 90-year-old man that walked laps around his, his garden to raise a bit of money. Um, but Marcus Rashford, is, he's, you know, personally, with, with this crusade, he's probably, kept, he's probably fed 200,000 kids. Um, and he's done, he's done all of it without, you know, wanting a penny on it, want any kind of self-publicity. He doesn't need it. He just needs it. He keeps pushing the message. And the great thing about it is every time we've seen campaigns like this before, what we've seen is like a footballer who becomes an ambassador for an established charity kind of thing. Um, like Beckham, you know, as part of whatever it is, or you know, one of Ronaldo, all of that, yeah, which which is fine. But those are all charities where you know money is taken out by directors and, and the rest of it. Some of those charities are they're worldwide, but they're kind of they have organised marketing campaigns and that kind of thing. Rashford has basically said, "I want you to go out there and give food to kids." That's his only message. He doesn't have. He's not being fluffy about it. Um, he's not being political about it. He's not going against any party or anything. He is literally just saying, feed kids, please. And if you can't feed kids, I'll put my money in there to make sure kids around here are fed. I'll raise money elsewhere to make sure the kids in your area are fed. You know, and what I like about it is the, um, the politicians who are kind of resisting it, and they're actually seeing the national mood turn against them because they're so used to being able to spin it and say, oh, well, he's, he's being backed by that party or that party or that group. And there's none of this. It's just one guy saying, please make sure your kids have enough to eat. It's a universal message. It's impossible to deny it. Yeah. yeah. Luke, what did you have I, to say on this matter? I just wanted to mention as well that Mesut Ozil has, um, has also provided free, free school meals as well. So so fair play to the, the both of them. His one, like, um, as great as it is what he's done, yeah. is provided like 1,400 pupils um, in North London with meals. But it's in support of the Marcus Rashford campaign. That's right. That's right. It's, it's yeah, come yeah. from his work. Um, yeah. That um, not to belittle um, what Mesut Ozil's done at all. It's fantastic. So well done to him. But yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for Rashford's campaign, that probably wouldn't have happened. Though you know I what I mean. We might see more high-profile footballers in Enkinet for each team in each area following that same boat. So if yeah. I donate like half a week's wages, I can feed two thousand kids in this area. Well, you know, yeah. and when you start getting more high-profile people behind it, who again aren't doing it for the basis of I need the celebrity, I need an MBE or anything else, they're doing it for the basis of these kids need fed. This campaign will, will run and run, and well, politicians this is will the, be able to. This is the thing I was going to say, Steve, was that. Um, it, it, it actually, it's not only just the kids as well. I mean, Marcus Rashford's done amazing, really, really amazing. He deserves to be honoured for it, for making a, a tangible difference in, across the country. Absolutely. Um, and, and across whatever political divide there is. Uh, but there is there is a wider issue in terms of, like, you know, families generally in poverty. And, and it's something that, you know, we, we probably need to look at as a, as a country, really. But that, that's for another time. But just... Fair play to Marcus Rashford, honestly. What a, what a great guy. Um, even though he plays for United, I still salute him. You know, yeah. really impressive. What, what I will say about it, and this is something I'm kind of seeing a little bit from it, and I know where it's coming from. Um, we're starting to see the occasional podcast people saying, you know, well, he shouldn't be, you know, devoting so much of his time here. He's a footballer. He should be focusing on his football. Now, that's the kind of PR spin you tend to get from people who want to derail a campaign. 
Um, you can see where it's coming from. It's it's worth ignoring. Um, those people will shout loud, but if there's, if everyone's focused on the single message, Absolutely. they won't listen. Absolutely. You know, you yeah, I'm, politicians are used to distracting you from something by giving you something else to think about. There's nothing else to think about here. Yes, I mean, uh, that was going to be my, my next question is, well, just to, t- to touch on what you said earlier about the um, the whole, the nature of what he's doing. He doesn't need to be involved in this for any, there's no personal gain from him. Like he doesn't, he's not getting any extra fame from it. He doesn't need that. He's what he's a worldwide superstar like, in from his profession. Like he's not getting any money out of it. He's not getting anything out of it other than helping thousands and thousands of families across the country. Um, and he's not doing that by saying, I'm an ambassador of this charity. He's getting out there and he's getting work done. He's getting stuff done. He's putting members of parliament to shame um in disputes on social media or in the in the 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 actual media in the written media as well so i think he's done an absolutely fantastic job he could it could it's very he could have very easily just said all right i'll just sign up with um a poverty task force um Mm -hmm. as an ambassador and i'll donate an hour of my time every six months to them but no he's gone the extra extra yard and then some andy Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think um, what he's done for me, I think, is potentially arguably the best thing a footballer's done off the pitch in the last five, ten years. I, I can't think of something better football footballer's done um, that's not to do with football itself. I think I can't think of anyone else who's done just as good a thing as he has mm-hmm. in the last few years as Marcus Fashion. And I think that um, obviously being someone who himself had to um, had trouble when he was a kid, so he, I think he had to. Um, I think he was quite poor as a child. I think he had to get yeah. free school. I think he knows himself exactly what these kids are going through. And I think that's really showed as well in this whole thing, how much he cares for these kids and how much sort of empathy he has for these for his children. Because he, he, he knows exactly what they're going through. He, he had it himself when he was a kid. Exactly. Um, so I think that, yeah, I think what he's done is amazing. And I think that, um, I know he's got an MBE at the moment and I wouldn't be surprised if that gets upped in the next Queen's mm-hmm. Honours. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a CBE, an OBE, or even a knighthood, really, after what he's done, I don't think he would get a knighthood. But I think, I think, he, I think, if he keeps going this way, I think he will eventually, but not for a long time. Yeah, he's still. Yeah, yeah. I think give it like five years or something. Maybe when he's retired. Maybe, maybe then when he's get retired. It, but... Yeah. Steve. Yeah, here, here's one of the things. Usually, um, when you get a, a sports star or a, any kind of famous individual doing this, the the politicians are like, all right, well, we'll give them like something basic, and then we'll, we'll give them an MBE, and they'll go away and it will quiet him down. And the great thing about Rashford, he's like, yeah, it's an MBE. That doesn't mean anything. It's like, thank you for my MBE. Where, where's the food for the kids? Mm-hmm. He hasn't kind yeah. of taken it and gone, that's my excuse. That, that's what I wanted. I'm going to kind of, you know, pipe down a little bit now. Mm-hmm. He's been like, yeah, that, that's really nice, but it's not what I asked for. It's not what I want. Yeah. Where's the food yeah. for the kids? I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely 100,000% certain that if, he's, that if you could say to Marcus Rashford, all right, mate, we will go back and we'll do that vote again and we'll vote in favour of giving all these kids those meal coupons, um, but you have to return your MBE. You'd do it in a heartbeat. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's just what I love about, the, about this guy and what he's been, and the mission that he's on. And I, I really, really genuinely, honestly, think the world of Marcus Rashford after all of this. Absolutely. But as I was saying, I'm not... Exactly, we're not all in the same boat like us four are, but not everyone feels the same way. 
Um, as Steve alluded to, there are a lot of people saying that he should be concentrating more on his football and saying that his work in the political world is starting to distract from his job, his everyday job as a Premier League footballer for Manchester United. Um, Luke, I'll ask you this, mate. Are those people absolute blithering idiots or do they have something of a point? Well, they, they, they do and they don't, of course. I mean, you know, obviously Rashford has his day job and he does have to, you know, to, um, to ensure that he is performing as well as he possibly can. But, but the flip side is that footballers have a lot of spare time. Yes. You know, they have a remarkably easy life. So all he's really doing is, is posting on, uh, you know, on social media and stuff. I don't see it as that much of a distraction. I think he, he, he comes across as quite a level-headed kid, actually. You know, mature probably beyond these years. I can't even believe I'm saying this about a Man United player. Do you know that? That's <laughs> the thing that riles me more than anything. But, but actually, I, I don't really see it as a big deal for him. Um, I, I think he's, he's he's a disciplined kind of guy. Uh, I don't think he'll let... He seems pretty well-grounded as well, so I don't think he'll let that distract him too much. Yeah, the, the guys that are saying that he's kind of... You know, he should be focusing more on his football, he's distracted. I mean, Rashford's played nine games this season. He's got five goals and two assists. Mm. Uh, you know, he's like... And one of his goals is in the, Premier League, is in the, the Champions League. I mean, it's not... This is not a guy who is, is distracted from his football. He's doing this... You know, passionately, but when he comes back to his football, he's doing his football passionately with the right head on. I mean, this guy could go on to be one of the legends of English football. He plays, like, yeah. continues to play like this, and continues to bring attention to to worthy causes like this. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. But there's another level to that as well, um, and there's the club element to it, which is if he's if his performances in the next two to three months, say, end up starting to decline a little bit, they start to suffer a little bit, are United going to end up being in a position where they're going to have to sort of say to him, look, Marcus, as great as it is what you're doing, you're under contract yet and you're going to have to pack it in. Um, are you, you going to have to like maybe start spending a little bit less time talking and arguing with MPs on Twitter and maybe a little bit more time on the training field? Do you think but they, could you they think would not dare the PR backlash alone would publicly. cost United tens of millions publicly though uh, publicly they wouldn't well, do that but would you do you think they could say them could you see them doing it behind closed doors I can see Ollie kind of putting his arms around him and saying you know this is fine you know if his form dips I can see Ollie kind of putting his arms around him because you know you know need you a bit more on the training ground need to see a little bit more from you you know you're a good enough player you'll get back into it um, but the thing with United is you know there's a lot of competition for places there mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if he if his form dips, you know, I don't think anyone's brave enough to say it's related to this campaign. They're more likely to just say his form's dipped, but here's come someone else in, like Cavani, you know, and his form's you know his form's better than Rashford, so he deserves it on merit. Yeah. Um, United, you know, aside from we'll talk about later that dire game this weekend, um, United can't stop scoring. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, it's not as though the goals aren't there, and they're coming from all all angles. Yeah. I would definitely agree with that. Just one last Marcus Rashford question, Andy. Um, mm. It looks as though he's, he's reportedly set to miss out on the BBC Sports Personality of the Year shortlist. Um, while this may not mean a lot to mean much at all to any to a lot of people, 
Um, I think two athletes, it's a very, very, very big honour. But it looks as though he's going to miss out on the spotty shortlist because his achievements are not considered sporting achievements and to be registered as a spotty candidate, they kind of need to be. What, what are your thoughts on that situation? Well, first, it's called Sports Personality of the Year. So I think that would really fit fits him perfectly to what he's done. I mean, yes. Uh, albeit I know it is, should be about on the pitch, but at the same time, who else has done anything amazing on the field this year? Because a lot of things have been cancelled, postponed. Who else could you say, apart from Tyson Fury back in January or February, and Lewis Hamilton, who probably will win it now because of this reason, um, and Jordan Henderson will be in the top 10 because of Liverpool, but who else has really done, done anything amazing this year? And I think him not being in the nomination really defeats the object of what the award's called. The award is called Sports uh, Personality of the Year. It's so that word, award, isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly, that yeah, word. Exactly. It's, it's that word personality because mm. if if that is how it's going to be based in the future, like if they are going to say, "All right, it's only about the things that you've achieved on the football pitch or on the racetrack or whatever the sport it is," then change it to sportsman of the year or sports person. Yeah, exactly, not sports, sports personality. Exactly, I think if he doesn't get in the nomination, that'll be even more of a shame than. Zara Phillips winning it back in 2006 or wherever it was. I think that, um, yeah, I think if, 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 if she can win it back that year, I think he certainly should be in the nominations um, for that award. Um, but yeah, I think I think certainly um, he, he should definitely be in that top 10. I mean, who else are you going to put in? Yeah, I mean, if on the subject of um, off the field, like achievements and stuff like that, all you've got to do is go back two to three years and see when Jermaine Defoe was nominated for Spotty mm. because of the amazing um, like yeah. time he spent and the amazing way he dealt with Bradley Lowry, um, God rest his soul, and his family. That wasn't anything to do with his sporting achievements. So how is that different to this, Steve? Um I mean, you're right. I mean, the whole personality thing. I mean, you, you go back years and years. Do you remember when Beckham won it? Now, you're not going to convince me in any way, shape, or form Beckham won that based on his sporting achievements that year. He won it based on the fact that he was one of the biggest personality in the sports world that year. Yes. You know, and he was, like you say, he was his, um, he was a UNICEF ambassador and everything <coughs> else away from the pitch. Um, so that absolutely should be, be taken into account. Bradley, the early thing. As you say, that that was tremendous, and Defoe absolutely deserved his nomination for that. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I just I don't get how you can you can continue to, to call it sports personality if you give it to people who have very limited personality, like Lewis Hamilton, <laughs> who to me is, is probably the the dullest uh, um, race driver, uh, and it's like his his Ooh. personality, his image is so kind of media focused and controlled. Yes. But you don't really see a, a real Lewis Hamilton. You haven't seen a real Lewis Hamilton for years. You see the PR friendly Lewis Hamilton. Exactly. And and that's not that's not personality. That's not someone I want to see in my screens. I want to see exactly. someone who, you know, wins an event and then it's sheer raw emotion. You know, the swear I want to see um uh what's his face? Uh, Ricardo win events because I want to see him like, you know, dance about like a lunatic and drink from a shoe. That's what you do when you win an F1 race. Yeah, you don't yeah, stand yeah. up there and go, hello. Oh, look, yes, camera, camera, which is what Hamilton does. And this is why people are like, they're, they're starting to turn on Hamilton. They have been for a while. It's too, Very off topic, of man, a, <laughs> too much of a, a controlled image. That's yeah, not yeah. personality, right? That's, yeah, just, yeah. that's just PR. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. And in my personal opinion, if it's if it is all about sport and achievements, then it has to be Lewis Hamilton who wins it. But given that it's called Sports Personality of the Year, it shouldn't be. And Marcus Rashford, if you are listening, don't listen to any of this crap. No matter what awards you get, you are an absolute hero. And please do not forget that. We all love you. 100%. 100%. Agreed. Agreed. Against Chelsea. <laughs> all right, guys. It's time for our weekly game. Home or away. Last week, we had another absolute mare as all three of them got their answers wrong again. Here's hoping this week is a little bit better. Are we ready? Yes. Yeah, bring it on. Steve. No. <laughs> <laughs> but let's do it anyway. He's eating pizza, so he's like... Rum, 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 yeah. Well, get that, get that piece swallowed, because you're up first, Stephen. An answer. Here we go, right. Would you like home, or would you like away? Um, now, because I desperately need the points now, because one of us has to get some points, <laughs> I am going to go home this week. I don't want to go through this whole like you know series of podcasts and not get a single question right. So if I get this wrong, I'll be very embarrassed. The answer is Chip Charnley. <laughs> every, week, every week he makes that joke. <laughs> all right, this week I googled Partick Thistle quiz questions. All right, I didn't oh just on myself. <laughs> Steve, who took the reins at Partick Thistle in 1974, guiding them to the Premier League and keeping them there until his departure in 1980? Ah, uh, well, hang on, I haven't started the timer yet. Yeah. Uh, 1980, 1980. All right. Because there's lots of time gone already, I'll give you up to 40 seconds on my little timer. Uh, That's 30 Uh, 30 seconds remaining. My my gut really wants to say John McPartland. Is your gut going to say John McPartland? It is going to say John McPartland. Your gut is wrong. Uh, (laughs) Ah! Yeah. The answer is Bertie Old. Very old. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next up. Andy, can you better, Steve? Would you like home or would you like away? Um, I think to avoid any further questions about our party successful mascot, I'm going to go play a stage and be home. <laughs> okay, I, say, I say that playing it safe. I say that I'm probably going to get like something from the 1800s. This is a very answerable question. The answer is Good. Chip Charnley. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God Almighty, <laughs> Andy. To the nearest 10 million, how much did the FSG Group pay to buy Liverpool in 2010? Oh, that's tough. <sighs> Jesus. Um, I should have gone away now. That's a hard question. Um, <laughs> that's not answerable at all, Kim. When you, oh, that's, yes, that's, it is. Right. By the way, if you had gone away, you would have got a Chelsea question. Oh, no, don't say that. Oh. <laughs> that's why I went last week away. I thought I'd get a Chelsea question. <laughs> um, I'm going to go for 300 million. <laughs> oh. mm-hmm. I know this one as well. Nailed on 300 million. Yes! Oh, no way. Correct! We have a correct answer! Da, 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 da. Yay! <laughs> 
All right, it's about bloody time when he has got a correct answer. That is five. Points. I just, I also realised I called him John McPartland. It's not. It's David McPartland, and Bertie Old is the manager who replaced him. Oh, God, do you even know anything about your own club? All right, Luke, home or away? I, I would like a question of party thistle, please. So I'm going to go away. <laughs> the answer is Chick Charlie. <laughs> Luke, what will the capacity of Anfield be once the Anfield Road end renovations are complete? <laughs> oh, that's a good question, actually. That is actually a very good question. Um, so, currently, capacity is something like 73, isn't it? Something like that. I think it's one of the biggest ones. Um, Hmm. 20 seconds gone. No, Andy knows this. Andy he does. Think I do. And since my kids are in love with all, I know this as well. 30 seconds gone. Well, um, I am going to see if you can release. I don't know, actually. But you're Googling. 40 um, seconds gone. Oh, I don't know. Stop Googling stuff. 45 seconds gone. Stop Googling stuff, Luke. Seventy-five. <laughs> no, miles off. I don't know what the hell you're you're thinking with Liverpool with the Anfield's capacity being seventy odd thousand already. Liverpool's current capacity is fifty-five thousand. Oh, once too ah. Once the once Anfield Road end is complete, it will go up to sixty-one thousand. So the answer was sixty-one thousand. Never mind. Oh well. Never mind indeed. Would you like your other questions? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yes, please. All right, Steve, your question this week, because I like I told you guys last week, um, what I was doing this week is I just put them all in a randomizer and who you got was who you got. The, um, but anyway, the Newcastle question. You did get the Newcastle question. <laughs> all right. Who was Newcastle United's second top goal scorer of all time, losing the record to Alan Shearer in 2000? Jackie Melbourne. Absolutely nailed it. Well Hang done. On. All right, Andy, your away question. Where did Chelsea rank on the world football rich list? Um, I'm going to guess seventh. Sixth, one out. Oh, damn it. Luke, your home question. Who is Chelsea's leading appearance maker? It is... Actually, I don't know the answer to that one. Actually, I don't know the answer. I can't remember. Is it Frank, is it Frank Lampard? No, they got John Terry, actually. It's neither. It's Ron Harris. Ah, Ron Harris. I knew it was one of the older players, but I had a, just had a brain moment where I just couldn't think of it. There you go. Dear nice. Dear. At the end of that, we have one correct answer. Finally. At the third time of asking, somebody's finally got a question. Right. And Woo-hoo. Andy now leads the way in the home or away championships with five points. Well, I can't man. believe I didn't go away this weekend. That was an easy question. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, well. Lesson done. Cut what I should have, mate. Cut what I should have. Now I've got to play catch up and go away every week to catch Andy. So, <laughs> All right, boys. Moving on to our final topic, which is the latest round of games in the Premier League. 
I mean, this weekend did see us come back down to earth a little bit with a bit of a pump, actually, in terms of all the incredible entertainment we've been treated to so far this season at the Premier League. We didn't really have any particularly high-scoring games or any massively entertaining ones, for that matter, but we did get some headlines nonetheless. Leicester beat Arsenal by a goal to nil. Spurs nicked a 1-0 win at Burnley last night as Kane and Son combined again. Paddy Bamford netted a hat-trick on Friday as Leeds ended Villa's unbeaten start. Newcastle nicked a draw at Wolves and Man United drew 0-0 with Chelsea in probably the worst game of the season so far. Luke, we'll start with you, mate, and start at Old Trafford for that Man United-Chelsea game. It wasn't great. It wasn't a great watch. But are you happy with that result? Well, you know, we would have quite liked to have taken the WWF belt for wrestling. Uh, but clearly Manchester United won that one with that ridiculous, ridiculous challenge in that penalty area. But <laughs> overall, actually, the, the draw was the fair result. And, I, and I'm happy enough with that. Going to Old Trafford and getting a draw is okay. I'd have quite liked to win, but, you know, I'm not going to complain too much. I didn't actually see the whole game because I was at a wedding. So I managed to watch some of it. Um, and it wasn't very exciting, so I probably didn't miss much of the league. I don't think you uh, did. Man. Yeah, it was a bit of a snooze fest all told. Apart from that one instant, which was a total stonewaller penalty, and, and again, VAR. Um, they must have been <sighs> on the drink or something, because it's the only way to explain why they didn't give a penalty there. Anyone else bloody sick of those three letters? Oh. Um, I, I actually want to take issue with, with Luke's opinion on this, because I did get to watch the whole of that game. And that was not a fair result in the end. Uh, it was two terrible, terrible teams uh, with a weather-affected game. But that was that game was Man United all over when when the ball was actually being played. Um, Mendy had a tremendous stop from Rashford at the end, um, you know. And, and there was one there was a chance when Rashford cleared through in the first half where he just kind of had to guide it in at the far corner, and he just couldn't get it far enough away from the keeper. It was a good but, chance you know, from Werner as well, though, actually, in fairness. So, I mean, you know, both both sides had pretty good chances. Yeah, I, I think the majority of that game was United. I, I think it should. And just what got me about Chelsea, and this is what really bugged me, was for the whole of the season, Chelsea have been gung-ho, attack, get goals. And this time they tried to play with a really defensive shape and built in the back. The and it just looked, it's, not, it's not Chelsea's style with those players. You have they to need have a to plan for these teams, though, and they did the same against Liverpool. Yeah, it, it just you know it doesn't make it, it does it, make it, sense though. It, it does make sense if you think you, about you got to draw it. You got to draw it, but you, you didn't have to have a, a draw. tactical um, plan for some of these teams. So, mm. so I think it shows that Lampard's putting a bit of a plan together and and having different ones. Oh, okay, yeah, it is soak up the pressure on against certain teams, but at least he has a plan B. You know, unlike other managers, so at least that's something. I don't know, mate. Where was his plan B against the likes of West Brom? How did this? This is the thing. Is you know, well, we got we dug ourselves out of hole, didn't we? I was going to say his yeah, plan B got him, he, got him a point. Yeah, didn't what, it? what I'm saying no? is, his, if you're saying that his plan is for certain teams, he's clearly not planning for other teams and just assuming that the team will win based on talent. You know, you should never have been if he had a plan that you should never have been three goals down to West Brom in the first place. Well, the, the, I mean, going back to the, the West Brom game, I think that was. Um, that was three horrendous errors. They had three shots and goal, three horrendous errors. And it, it happens in football, but you know what? We dug ourselves back out and we at least got a point out of it, which is better than we deserved, really. But but ultimately, that was the only chances they had in goal in that game. Um, I, I don't have a problem with changing the tactics for, against different teams, Steve. Honestly, I really don't. Um, I think the team are a work in progress in terms of what we're doing. And, and I'm okay with, with Lampard utilising different tactical schemes to at least keep a clean sheet for one thing. 
looking at the way both teams set up they both set up with defensive uh-huh. midfielders yeah. um, and really yeah. I mean the game was, was boring for the first hour um, it livened up a little bit when Fred came off and Pogba came on and suddenly there was a little bit of intention from United going forward but it still was was not an exciting game or a high paced game in mm-hmm. any way shape or form it's never going to be I think two teams had too much to lose to, to go for it as a gung-ho kind of thing if you ask me yeah, I think I think especially as well the fact that both teams are sort of expected to be in and around that top four sort of battle for top four come the end of the season. I think maybe that played in their minds. Maybe they're thinking, particularly Chelsea. Maybe they're thinking if we can get a draw away at Old Trafford, we know this team's going to be battling with us for top four end of the season. Uh, I think certainly that that might be why that Lampard went a bit more defensive. I would um, say so. Yeah, and I think um, do you know how bad that game was. I actually fell asleep and missed the. Uh, the VAR thing. So I didn't know about it until about an hour after the game finished. Because I, I actually fell asleep for 20 minutes because the game was that, was that exciting. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thought I, that I, was... I was so glad I had like customers in to distract me from that game. It was that bad. <laughs> uh, I know. It's, um, Fortunately, yeah. I didn't watch it. I watched Chalka lose in the Rivia derby instead, which was great. So everyone <sighs> wins. Everyone's a winner. Anywho, moving on. Andy. Liverpool continued on the winning road with a 2-1 win against Sheffield United. What did you make of that? Well, um, I didn't watch the game because I refused to pay £15 for a pay-per-view. But um, I did watch match a day uh, with my dad the next, the next morning. Um, and yeah, for me, um, it did look like it looked at times like we missed Van Dijk. I think at times we looked... Um, but, but I think... We did. We did do in that game what we did all of our season at times was um, win by win narrowly. I think we saw many times last season where we weren't at our best, but we got the, the win we needed. And we saw we saw it actually against Leeds as well opening day. Um, so I think for me, especially after the last two Premier League games we had, I think it was just good to get back on the winning ways, no matter how the game went. Um, I'm sure we'll mention it in a minute, but that VAR decision was a joke. Um, but it, it was good to see. Um, Sort of as win without Van Dijk and managed to get a win when tight when in sort of in adversity because we were obviously we're losing the game for a bit and then drawing the game for a while, so it was good to see um, for me to get a goal as well. That was good, even if it was a tap in. It was good to see him get back on the sort of goal scoring ways. Um, and Salah really got denied of a really great finish in the end because because of the off right decision with the offside. But I think uh, he he was denied a very a very good goal. But I think overall, yeah, happy with the result um, in midweek as well as on the weekend in um, Champions League and Premier League. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just good to get to win- get to winning ways because no team's defending well really this season. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it was just good to get back to winning ways. Um, do you think Liverpool now without Van Dijk are at risk of reverting to the team that you saw in the first half of the 2017-18 season? Yeah, I, I, I think I think potentially. Uh, I mean, I know we we got Fabinho playing Van Dijk's role now, so I don't think he's obviously he's nowhere near as good as Van Dijk in centre back, and we will we will miss him in that midfield. I think Fabinho he does a good job in that in that centre back role most of the time. So I think um, and plus there's no Lovren as well. That that, that really helps things as well because if 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 we'd kept Lovren, he'd probably be playing right now, and I'd, I'd be sort of. Uh, fearing for the worst if we actually had Lovren still. So, um, thank God we don't have him in our team now. So, at least we have um, sort of more capable defenders than him. But even so, I think there is that risk as well. I think there is that risk. Um, 
but I think I'm confident that we will be okay. Um, and I think especially as no other team's really running away with the league at the moment, I think Man City are dropping points, um, Chelsea Man U drop points, and all these other teams around us. Um, but yeah, I think that um, that that will help us. I think I think we will get someone in January, which will help as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm confident it won't be as bad as as what that defence was like in the in the first half of the season that few years ago. Um, and especially now we've got Allison back as well. That will help massively as well. There's no Migdalay, there's no Carrius, there's no Adrian. So hopefully that will. Um, yeah. You know, but I will say, going off tangent slightly, I think Spurs could be challengers for the league. We might discuss it later on, but I think the way that we will. Uh, Juno, that way, okay, I'll talk about it later on, but I think the way Kane and Son are playing together, I think we've got to be careful of, of Spurs as much as Man City at the moment. Yeah, I mean, um, it was actually the thing I was going to come on to next, actually. So I'll just um, come straight on to it. But Son Hung Min and Harry Kane are absolutely on fire. They won 1 0 last night um, away at Burnley. Once again, that familiar story Harry Kane assists Son Hung Min goal. Great for fantasy owners over there. Um, they've now combined for 29 Premier League goals in total, which is the joint second most of all time behind only Lampard and Drogba, who got 36 in their time together. Four Spurs to do, as Andy says, and go and win the title or go and even actually get a shot out in, at staying in the top four. They have to keep those two fit, don't they, Luke? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think... You know, you know, to to win the league, you have to have a degree of luck in in the sense that you have to keep your big players fit, and they have to be healthy, and and stuff like that. And I think that's really, really important, and and none more so in this situation. And you only need to, to look back at last season to see the sort of damage that losing the two of them did. Um, to, to Spurs, I mean, the wheels pretty much came off their challenge. Um, just just as an interesting point, actually, I just wanted to come back to Liverpool very, very briefly, just to mention that. I'm wondering what they're going to do in centre defence here because Fabinho isn't the answer. And I'm looking at your squad and actually you've got Joe Gomez and Joe Matip and that's it. Sepp van den Berg must be about 14, I think. But you <laughs> don't really have any other centre-halves. I don't know anything about Costa Sim- Simicas. Yeah, he, so yeah he, he's hardly but, played. Know, yeah, this comes back to the same thing again that you know, and, and I think we made the point um, at the, the production show at the start of the season uh, where we said, look, you've got to get lucky. You've got to avoid injuries. Um, I think that's key for Spurs and it's certainly, certainly now key for Liverpool um, because if they lose any any more of their big players, that's it. Title's done. You know, I, I would say if you lose Manny or uh, anyone like that for any length of time, uh, you could see the wheels fall off quite quickly on that one because Jota looked good, but I'm not sure he's the same quality as them. I, I, I like the goalie took actually. I thought he played really well. Um, and the same for Spurs. I thought I watched the, the highlights um, and I thought they, they did really well as well. Um, but they, they totally rely on Son and Kane. And I think if either of them get injured, then yeah, that's big problems for Spurs too. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll take issue with that on the basis that uh, if Son and Kane get injured, um, there's a small matter of, of Gareth Bale being in that squad. And I, I think that's a, a pretty able deputy. Yeah. He's not a striker, though. Son's not an out-and-out striker. Son's a kind of wide player that drifts in. Kane's a kind of target man striker. But Mm. Kane's, I've said before, Kane's a really complete footballer. He's a guy that puts his head up, looks around and can spray a 30-40-yard ball. Kale can do that as well. I'll go further and say if they lose Harry Kane, that's big problems for them. That I'll agree with. If they lose Um, Hume and Son, I think that they'll be all right. But if they lose Harry Kane... 
if they lose Son, I, we still don't know how good uh, if Bale's going to be as good as he was. He's not. I think he's not. I think if, if, even if Son goes down, it says you're looking at Bale, you're looking at Moura, you're looking at Lamella, you're looking at Bergwijn. There's an abundance. This is one of the things I've noticed about Spurs is that they really they backed Mourinho in the window. There's an abundance of attacking talent there. Some of which some can't get players. out every week. They have got some good players, but they, you know, it, it, it's an interesting discussion actually about Spurs because one of the, the the other criticisms I heard during the week was that they really struggled to have like a playmaker. Um, uh, I can't remember yeah. where they're talking about it, but they said that Harry Kane was kind of dropping in to, to do that sort of thing and, and, and to put the balls through. And it is true, Lo Celso is good, but he's not a playmaker. The other midfielders, arguably, again, are the, the same sort of vein. They're not necessarily playmakers. Maybe Bale could be, but I, honestly, I don't even know if he's, he's anywhere near as good if his legs are gone or what, because he's been sat on the bench for the best part of two years, and he's not young anymore for a winger. So, yeah, I think I think we've definitely seen Kane. Um, I think we've, we've seen Kane sort of move into that false nine at times this season. Mm-hmm. I think we've really seen him improve sort of his. Absolutely, you've seen against Manny the times where it's a one time where he, he he won the ball back, and that's something I've not seen from him before. Really, I always I always thought of him as this sort of stay in the box striker. He get you goals, but now he's sort of. I think I don't know whether that's Mourinho effect or whether it's some other reason, but he seems to be this season especially really doing more. Well, more for the team, he's sort of tracked back a lot more, um, become more of a false nine. I think that um, unplayable, I isn't think... he, Andy? At times, I mean, if you're if you're yeah. marking, he's dragging mm-hmm. players out of position left, right, and centre because nobody knows whether to go or stay with them. It's tough. Yeah, I'd say he's probably been for me the best striker so far this season. I can't think of anyone who's really yeah. top, top top of my head is that he's done better than Kane this season in terms of his goals and assists, but also his work rate this season. And I think that um, I think we are seeing the benefits now of Spurs because. Um, he is offering. I think at times we always saw when Kane wasn't playing, are they're better without him? And but now what the way the work rate he's putting in, I think he's showing how crucial he, he is to, to that team. And I think that um, I suppose would be affected if, if he if he wasn't playing. Totally. Yeah, just back on the Son um, situation as well. Steve said that if Son was to go down, then Liverpool could replace him um, easy enough with Gareth Bale, but. While Gareth Bale might have the same level of quality as Son Hung Min, he doesn't have the same level of understanding with Harry Kane that Son Hung Min does, mm. and that's something that can't be that's something that can't be just replaced like that easily. He's a very um, different player as well, isn't he, Kieran? That's the thing. Very different, yeah. Very different, yeah. Yeah, I mean, where do you see? Given uh, through the first few weeks, of the first couple of months of the season, where do you see? Spurs go in this season? How far can Spurs go this season? Top four for me. I think that um, I mean, I'd put them fifth in my in my table. Um, but I do think that they, they can push top four. Um, I mean, man, you haven't impressed me one bit this season at times. I think, obviously, the draw against Palace, they haven't won a home game in the league yet this season. Um, so I think um, if I was to sort of do my table again as of the first six weeks or whatever it is so far, I definitely have Everton a lot higher than they are. I definitely put them higher than ninth, but I think I would definitely um, potentially swap rounds Spurs and Manu for that fourth and fifth. Mm-hmm. I think that um, I think Spurs could go even higher. That to be honest, I think they they could easily go a bit higher. Um, I sort of think they could be a dark horse for the league after what I've seen so far and the teams around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think yes, yeah, Spurs should be looking for top four. I think maybe title is unrealistic at this stage in in the team. 
Uh, but I think that um, certainly top four is within their reach. And I know, and I'm definitely, I think they, they should try and go for um, a cup as well, whether that be sort of Europe or whether that be, no, not in Europe, um, whether that be sort of, sort of go for the league or whether they go for a cup, like in domestic league cup wise. Um, I think, yes, yeah, certainly, I think that should be their aim this season. I think anything more would just be a bonus. Yeah, I mean, just looking at your your guys' like Premier League table predictions, Luke had Spurs fifth, Andy, you had Spurs fifth, Steve, you had Spurs seventh. Through the first couple of months of the season, are you starting to regret that, Steve? A little bit, yeah. I, I hadn't, when I looked at that Spurs squad at the time, I was like, this is a team that, that's going to struggle. And then, well, if he did what I didn't expect, he, he opened the checkbook, he went out and he got the players that, that Mourinho wanted. He got Regulon in, he got Bale in. You know, he, he got some extra backup in Vinicius up front, you know, and suddenly it was like, actually, you know, if, if they'd been in when I'd made the prediction, I'd probably said Spurs for the top four. Because yeah. one thing they were lacking, apart from Kane, was real world-class quality. Uh, and Bale coming in, you know, pushes other players, pushes the likes of Moore, pushes the likes of Bergwijn to perform because they know that their place is under threat. Mm-hmm. I think come Christmas time we can probably get another podcast out of um, your your guys' Premier League table predictions and sort of like what you regret, um, what you change and things like that. Um, but I, th- I do that, think yeah. it's w- worth asking the question now. I mean, Andy said you maybe said you'd change Spurs around a bit. Steve said the same thing. Luke, what about you? Fifth still around about where you expect them to finish? Do you know what? It's a, it's a tough one. I sort of feel like Fifth might still be about the right position for them, and and, yeah. and I'm I'm purely saying that on the basis that that if you rely so much on two players, inevitably they're going to go through a period where they they either get injured or 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 don't play as well, um, and and in order to hit the top four, you've you've essentially looking to win every single game, um, and and I just feel like they they'll be knocking on top four, but I don't think they'll quite get there, um, for that very reason. Um, I think they've got quality right through their team, but I also think they, they, they do have significant weaknesses that, that might prove to be their undoing in, in the longer term. Yeah, fair enough. Steve? Yeah, I, I disagree with that slightly in that I think what we've seen already from this Premier League season is this is going to be the most open Premier League title race in about a decade. Um, yeah. There are four or five teams now that are kind of you know mulling around there. Um, there are teams that we hadn't expected to be up there that are taking points off the big teams. Uh, we're, we're getting a lot of unexpected results. Not having fans is taking away home advantage. Yeah. So we're actually seeing, you know, the, the quality of a squad, um, you know, more than the quality, the, the, the you know how impressive a fortress of a, a home stadium it is. Um, so I, I think that's coming into effect. I think we, we will see a lot more league changes this season. I mean, City are, where is City just now? Uh, a little further down the league, aren't they? With a game um, in hand. Yeah, they've got well, a game in hand, but that's what I'm saying. They're, they're a little bit further down the league. You know, you've got Villa and Leeds up there. I bet, City currently I bet 13th. Luke, yeah, I, I bet Luke regrets saying that Leeds were absolutely nailed on certainties to go down and finish last. But, you know, that's the kind of thing. It's, this is a season where we're going to see so many surprises. Um, and th- this might annoy Andy a little bit, but no one's mentioning Everton. Now, they they got away with it in the derby, uh, and obviously minus Richarlison and James last week, they looked a different team against Southampton. But they're a team which you know I've shown on the day yeah. can beat anybody. 
Yeah. And you know, yeah, yeah. They also, we, we don't mention. They also showed this weekend that they can lose to anybody as well, Steve. Now we we said last week about Southampton, and we we reckon that Hasenhutl is probably the best manager outside of the top six clubs with mm-hmm. the results he's getting out of Southampton. Now the last manager who we had was like that was Pochettino, who obviously then went on to manage one of the big four or, or yeah. one of the big six, and Hasenhutl at this rate will do exactly the same. So we, I, I, Southampton are an outlier. You know, if you'd said if, if they'd gone on and they'd lost that game to to a Fulham or a Palace or a Leeds, maybe I'd have said yeah. But Southampton, Southampton are going to take points off all of the top six teams this year. I'm pretty certain on that. I think the thing for me with uh, Everton that you've got to kind of be a little bit concerned about is that leaky back line. I mean, they conceded twice to a ten-man West Brom. They conceded twice to Fleetwood. They conceded against Palace. They conceded against West Ham. Conceded two against Brighton, two against Liverpool, and two against Southampton. They, they're not keeping clean sheets. Neither and, Man United or Chelsea. Yes, but if you want, if they want to go on a top four run, a top four charge, even a title charge, um, as you were potentially alluding to there, that back line needs to shore up, and they can't be losing games like the one that they just lost at the weekend. You can't lose games like that if you want to do that. So they need to shore shore it up a little bit. Um, in my personal opinion. I'm going to throw one out here for everybody. This will be the Premier League one with the lowest number of points in the last 10 years because everyone is going to take points off everyone this season. Mm. It's starting to feel more like the Championship than the Premier League this year. I'd be all right I with that. That's right. Being a mental league. Yeah, possibly. It's most entertaining, definitely. Well, if we take out the whole goddamn VAR thing. Uh, <laughs> but just throwing it out here, I, I was the one that had Everton in sixth, by the way. Because I do think they're a good team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do think that they're they're underrated and they've made changes in midfield which have made a difference to them. That made yeah. us decent. Just on um, just on Steve's point there. I mean, the league leaders um, who are joint Everton, well, Everton on goal difference and Liverpool are on thirteen points. Um, by this point in last se- last season, the league leaders were on twenty four. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, wow. yeah. And to, to go back to your point on clean sheets, if, if we're going to argue the clean sheets are what you get for a no, title, 18, 18, sorry, who, 18. who have the most clean sheets in the Premier League this year? Villa, Aston Villa, Wolves, and Southampton. Mm-hmm. So you know we're not talking about any of those three as, as title contenders. This is going to be a season where more should can, we be? Let's be honest, Steve. Well, you can play Keegan you football this season. The first the set of games and, and have everybody play the contenders and then see where you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think we're going to. You can play Keegan football this season. You, you scored more than me, and you'll still win the title. Maybe, yeah. It's going to be a fun year. Yeah, hopefully. Um, and another team who have been adding to the entertainment and the fun that we've seen so far this season are Leeds. Um, they picked up a very nice win on Friday, courtesy of a Paddy Bamford. Hattrick, Paddy Bamford's been on absolute fire in the early stage of the as of the early stages of the season, having been written off as a Premier League striker by just about everybody in the past, not least our very own Stephen, um, who I believe had some not very nice words to say about him on our Premier League <laughs> predictions podcast. Um, Steve, has he now proven to you that he is a Premier League striker? No, no, not in the slightest. I'm, look, I'm looking at it, I'm saying, yeah, Patrick Bamford has goals, but Patrick Bamford has a great team around him. We, I said earlier in the year about um, Calvert-Lewin being a good striker, but not a world-class striker. Mm-hmm. Right? And he has a lot of goals because he has quality around him. Patrick Bamford is getting goals because he has quality around him. And you look at who he's scored against, right? 
when you when Patrick Bamford goes up and scores his goals against you know against you Man United, when he gets a hat trick against Man United, against Liverpool, against Chelsea, then I'll turn around to you and say, you know what, this guy is legitimate. I still think he's masquerading. I still think he's this season's team of Pookie, and I think he'll get ten goals and then disappear. Leeds are doing the right things, which is winning the battles of the teams around them, mm-hmm. which will stand them in good stead because that ultimately that's what they should be aiming for is beating all the teams in the in the sort of bottom half of the table so that they can be comfortable. And and if Patrick Bamford can can score goals, then good luck to him. Uh, I, I'm kind of with you in that camp. I'm not putting him in my fantasy league team. Let's put it that way. I'm not convinced that he's going to score goals week in week out. Well, there's a lot of people that are. I mean, currently he's joint third top scorer in the league on six goals, behind only Calvert Lewin and Son Hung Min. That's, that's one game. That's an outlier, though, isn't it? Really, that's the thing. I guess we'll just have to wait and see how he does the see uh, like in the rest of the season. But I think Steve had a good shout there, saying that he could end up being like um, a bit of a Timu Puki situation. Andy, how do you see Bamford this season? Uh, the exact same as Steve. I was about to say, make the same point as Steve did. The fact that I think he will be another Puki. I think that, yeah, he started well, but you see plenty of strikers start well in a season and then they, the goals dry up um, come winter, uh, come, come the end of the season. So I think that um, for any team, not just, not just Leeds, I think any team, it is still too, too early to tell. I think that it's only been six, seven games in. Um, we'll, I think we'll see in Christmas time who the real players are, who the real teams are this season. I think Patrick Bamford is a great championship striker and I think he is good for that team. I think he will get like maybe 10, 11 goals, but I just can't see him continuing this great start to the season. I think he will drop off at some point, as will Leeds for that matter. I, I think I, I, knew, I know I, I regret putting them 17th. But I should have put them a lot higher than 17th, but even so, I still think that um, his goals will dry up at some point. Um, I, th- I still think Leeds will win games without his goals, so I think they'll be fine. But I think that I just can see Patrick Bamford potentially um, potentially dropping off. Mm. Who steps up and scores the goals if he stops? Uh, maybe um, maybe someone like Jack Harrison. Maybe someone like um, who's the guy they bought from Wolves, the winger? Um, Doug, not Doug, what's his name? The, the guy bought from Wolves from Wolves as well. Um, Silva is it? Is that his name? Silva. I can't remember his name. Oh no, he's got the oh, I think cool. They yeah, it's, it's it's gone with my head now. The guy they the guy they bought, but um, Helder Costa that was it. Helder Costa. Helder Costa, that's it. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, maybe yeah. someone like him. Maybe I mean maybe maybe one of those teams where they do win one nils, or maybe they their their, def- their defense keeps them in the games, or something like that. Um, but yeah, I think that um, I mean he could put me completely wrong. That's it. That's the other thing. But I think yeah, I think they will dry up at some point. I think you're right, Andy. Steve. Yeah, this is actually to Luke. Now, Luke's actually experienced exactly the situation last season. The striker who started out on fire, having played in the championship, came in, looked great for 10 games or so, mm. then started to tail off. Tammy Abraham. So you had exactly that last season, Luke. And Abraham, it's, for me, is a is, much better quality player than Patrick Bamford. It is, but the, 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 so the, I think the same principle applies across... Um, across anywhere. I think if you get enough tape on a player and you study enough, you learn how to how they play and how to stop them. And and, and in the Premier League terms, I would say it's I mean they say in the NFL it's like six matches or something's enough to, to get tape enough tape on a quarterback to stop them. I'd say ten matches 
are, are you know eight to ten matches is probably enough to see how a striker plays and, mm-hmm. and figure out the way to stop them. Um, or you know, and, and and I'm sure many coaches would say the same thing. Yeah, um, I think just one last question on Paddy Bamford, though. I mean, we've got an international break coming up in November. Yeah. On current form, there aren't many better strikers in the country than Patrick. But like, on more strikers in the country who are scoring more goals than Patrick Bamford, is he in line for an England caller? I hope he does get called up because I'm Scottish. Yep, I agree with Luke entirely on that. Um, I, I think he, if he gets called up, he will be absolutely dire. Um, so he will fit right in with Southgate's current crop. Yeah, I mean, that's Sorry, rich, rich coming from a man who's striker. Well, two people whose best striker is Lyndon Dykes, but still. Only make Burnley and Lyndon Dykes. Come on, hey, listen, <laughs> we're undefeated in a year. Read it and weep. In a year. Yeah, but you play like Kazakhstan and things like that, man. Hey, listen, yeah, man. still a year undefeated. You could only beat what's in front of you. That's a miracle in Scottish <laughs> terms. Let me tell you, in Scottish terms, that's a miracle. Proper <laughs> bona fide miracle. You, you know that whole thing, like, you know, cat, person years and dog years, when in Scottish years, you know, yeah. <laughs> a year being undefeated is, is like 25 a, years. A, a year being undefeated with matches, by the way, mm. not just a year. With matches. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> Also, one game away from an actual major tournament. I mean, oh, you're listen, not going you're, you're to win the game, but still. Hey, listen, you never know. We're going to go to the bus. Park the bus, win on penalties. That's how it goes. Beep, beep, beep. Park the bus, that's it. Beat them 1-0. I think it'll be a bit of a miracle if you win that game, but still, you never know. Anything can happen in football, can't it? All right. One last topic to touch on, mate. Um, we got Arsenal. A loss this weekend against Leicester City. Steve, you're the Arsenal backers this season. You had them in your top four. Are they starting to worry, starting to panic at all in North London, do you think? I, I don't think so. I, I think, you know, it's one of those you, you play against. This is what goes back to what I said earlier about how we're going to have a lot of topsy-topsy results this season. Uh, I didn't predict Leicester to have the kind of form that they've got. I didn't think the squad, quality of squad was good enough. Uh, I actually thought Arsenal had probably a better squad than Leicester. And Rodgers has proven me wrong this year. Um, now, I can say that relatively unbiasedly, whereas I think Luca would kind of stick in his throat. Um, but I, Leicester played really well. They, 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 they had a game plan. They played against an Arsenal team that you know, relies sometimes a little bit too much on Aubameyang. Um, and I, that, that's all it was. I mean, I think Arsenal should maybe use, they should be using Eddie and Ketty a little bit more. Um, you know, and, and Aubameyang, because Lacazette's been playing as the kind of centre-forward with Aubameyang kind of drifting off left and right, going a bit wide which makes it difficult to track him, but it's still, you know, Lacazette's not as good a centre-forward as, as Aubameyang. Um, and I'd, I'd like to see Eddie and Ketty in there a little bit more. But yeah, I mean, they, they, they threw everything they had at it. Um, and in the end, you know, they, they lost a narrow game. Um, and also, did anyone see um, Vardy's shin pads? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Vardy had chat, and I won't say it this week, so we don't end up uh, X-rated, but chat something get banged. Was uh, were Bobby <laughs> shin pads, yeah. which to be fair, that's his catchphrase. So uh, yeah, fair play to him. And you know, you can't really you can't criticize any team that loses to a Jamie Vardy goal because we, we talk about you know, Patrick Bamford being a terrible choice as an England striker. Jamie Vardy is a big loss to England. There hasn't been a, a natural poacher like him since uh, you know since the late He's a tremendous striker, and He's I think still doing it. He's still doing it. it. I think you know. I think Kane and Vardy up front is a better combination than Kane and Rashford. 
Interesting. Andy? Vardy's getting it done, yeah, for sure. And I've got to laugh at Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is exactly why I put him seventh place. This is why Arsenal fans, like Ryan, if you're listening to this as well, um, some, a lot of Arsenal fans will be getting quite excited after beating Fulham and West Ham. I think that um, a lot of those Arsenal fans were getting excited over the, last, the first few games. They beat a rubbish Fulham side 3-0. They great past West Ham. And Arsenal fans were getting so excited saying, we're going to do well this season. We're going to get top four. We're going to challenge for the league title. But now they've lost to Leicester, Man City. They've lost to us. They barely beat Sheffield United. So I think this has really proved to me that the fact that they aren't as good as teams around them. And, and when, when they play the teams around them, like Leicester, like us, like Man City, they haven't played well. So I think that, um, yeah, I think certainly this is, this has shown to me why people are getting way too excited, way too excited too early with Arsenal. I think that um, yeah, they've really proved, they've really shown for me so far who they really are, and that is a team that aren't going to make top four and are going to be, be around fourth, the fifth to seventh place positions in the league. Yeah, I and mean, I, I am definitely not wearing that Celtic top and <laughs> our Celtic hat and Arsenal top, am I? <laughs> you never know. You no never danger. know. Like I told you, Steve, no danger. Just okay, looking at the okay. table, just looking at the table, boys. Um, outside of the three teams in the relegation places, there are only two teams, that being West Brom and Wolves, who have scored less goals than Arsenal in the early stages this season. Wow. And also, if you look at Arsenal, um, they only have one player on more than one goal, that being Alexandre Lacazette, who has three. Then Alba, Gabriel, Eddie Nketiah, Pepe and Saka all have one each. Yeah. Is Mikel Arteta going to be concerned about that, Luke? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think what you're seeing is a team in transition at the minute. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 you know, much as I really do admire Arteta uh, for a, a lot of reasons, um, I think he's, he's not only a good man, but he was also a top footballer. And I think he's had his, uh, his football apprenticeship in the right way and all that kind of thing. But, but I think there has to be a recognition that he is still in a sort of rebuilding phase and, and, and it is a project right now. Um, and you might well see the benefit by the end of the season, but uh, I'm, I'm not seeing much to, to really tell me that it, it's going to change all that much. Uh, I still think they're going to struggle this year uh, overall. I'm actually going to come back to you with a, a quick yeah. uh, quick retort to um, the, the talk, lack of goals from Arsenal. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, in fact, only two teams in the Premier League that have conceded less goals than Arsenal as well. Um, so, you know, in fact, only one team, and that's Aston Villa. Arsenal have only conceded seven goals this season. And we were talking earlier about having a solid defence being the, the core for a solid season. Yeah, yeah. Arsenal Good somehow have sorted out, and that's with David Luiz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's, ve- that's very fair enough. And that gives um, a sort of, it gives extra credence to the decision from Mikel Arteta to not play William Saliba, which I know has been getting a lot of criticism from Arsenal fans, don't you think, Andy? Yeah, I mean, obviously they they brought him in with all with a lot with a lot of sort of expectation, um, and I I obviously did, did they loan him out last season back to Saint Etienne. They did. Um, I think that yeah, I think it does. I mean, you could argue maybe because Arteta wasn't the one who brought him in. Maybe that's why he's not getting games. You could argue that maybe. I mean, obviously, it's, it's reportedly uh, due to fitness issues and and worries that he's taken a bit long, a bit too long to adapt to the English game. I mean that. That again wouldn't surprise me. I mean, any player 
coming to the Premier League for the first time from a foreign country, obviously having to adjust the language, which obviously is a big factor, I think, a lot of times, is these players getting yeah. used to new life, especially if they're young as well, if they've not been away from home before as well. That's got to be quite a big uh, player part in all of this. But I think... Um, I think still, I mean, Fabinho didn't, Fabinho didn't get a game for us until November, really. So I think uh, maybe he just needs time, more time to adapt, more time to adjust. Um, I think yeah, I think given time, he's still young. And I think that we shouldn't put this pressure early on to these players. Um, I think we need to allow players to develop, learn off others, uh, albeit maybe not the best team to learn from defensively, but um, with David Louise. But uh, I think, yeah, I think overall, I think just, just give him time. He's still young. He still needs to learn. And I think we shouldn't put all this pressure on him so early to um, to make an immediate impact. We talk about defences there, about uh, you know learning from defences. Who has the worst Premier League defensive record right now? If that that's only six games in, we'll, we'll see uh, what it's like in. Wolves, we'll see what it's like Fulham, in. Sorry, Fulham, West Brom, and Liverpool have an equal number of goals <laughs> conceded over six games. That's all I need to say regarding defences this year. <laughs> no, I, I, I think we'll we'll um, see in December and January who's who's letting the most goals. Yeah. All right. Well, we will have to wait to see that one because it is time uh, to wrap up. It's 7.58 now, so we've got to go and watch Champions League. Um, so that is all we've got time for. Be sure to tune in again next week when we'll be doing all the same things that we did this week, but hopefully we have some more exciting action to talk about from the Premier League. Thank you very much for listening, and we will see you then.